We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, many of us have spent a lot of time with our televisions during the pandemic. So when the Golden Globe nominations were announced this week with notable snubs and surprises, they're before a public that's probably more informed than ever about the shows and streaming movies they're judging. We'll talk with critics about their recommendations for what to watch next, and we want to hear from you. What have you been watching these days that you really love? Tell us on Forum after this news. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. What are you watching right now that you really love? A film or TV show that just came out? Or maybe something you've rediscovered? We're heading into the weekend getting ideas from you and our guests on what to watch. As many of us spend more of our free time these pandemic days in front of a screen, and as many reacted to the Golden Globes nominations announced this week. So here to help us sort through the options for what to watch next, Melanie McFarland, TV critic for Salon. She's also president of the TV Critics Association. Melanie McFarland, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Also with us is Danette Chavez, television editor at AV Club, a pop culture website. Danette Chavez, thanks so much for joining us as well. Thanks for having me. So let me start with you, Danette. What are you watching right now that you're really enjoying? Um, I really enjoyed the second season of Dickinson, which premiered uh, early last month. Um, it's just a very smart, ahistorical riff on the life of, you know, one of the best known American poets, uh, Emily Dickinson. Um, And it's also, in addition to just being a romp, there's, you know, there's just a lot to dig into, particularly in the second season, which uh, really uh, explores her ambivalence about fame. Interesting. It sounds like a a very interesting exploration of art and of Dickinson. And Melanie McFarland, similar question to you. What are you watching right now purely for fun? Um, You know, (laughs) there's nothing that I really watch purely for fun anymore (laughs) because a lot of what I watch, I end up writing about. Right. Um, I'm really enjoying WandaVision and, you know, exactly what it is, is still a mystery. I love the fact that it's inviting so many theories about it. And it's also accessible both for people who only know this universe through the MCU, um, that would be the Marvel Cinematic Universe, um, as in the films, um, and comic book fans. And really, if people are just fans of TV, um, it really kind of is an interesting merger of these kind of three uh, entertainment languages that I don't think I've seen, particularly from 
the Marvel universe um, on television or film um, before. So it, I'm, I'm just really loving uh, being fascinated by something um, for the first time in a long time. Interesting that you bring up WandaVision because my spouse was watching the first episode and couldn't get past the first episode. <laughs> and I don't know if that happened for a lot of people, but I'm hearing that once you do get into it a little bit more, what you're talking about uh, starts to become a lot clearer. Right. And I think, look, the first episode is really a love letter to the Dick Van Dyke show. Um, and this combination of putting these characters who are clearly not supposed to be in this universe into this setting that for a lot of Americans who, you know, whether you grew up watching the Dick Van Dyke show in syndication or on Nick at Night, um, you know, have this kind of familiar visual language to kind of dig into. But I, but I also think that if you don't really know um, a whole lot about who Wanda Vision or who Wanda and Vision are as characters, it's just going to be kind of strange. You have to have some sort of knowledge of who these characters are, and more than that, what has happened to them. Um, and so, fortunately, if you wanted to, you could watch all the movies that they're in, but they're also featured prominently in the Avengers movies. So <laughs> right. you can just watch the big team ups and, and get some idea of what's going on. Well, we actually have a scene from WandaVision that we can play. And this is a scene where Wanda and Vision are awake at night, worried about alarming noises outside. What was that? Wanda? Yes, dear? Are you using your powers to turn on the light? Yes, dear. Allow me, sweetheart. What do you see? Only your lovely rose bushes. That's all? Are you using your night vision vision? I assure you, my love, I see nothing amiss. You have absolutely no reason to be... No! You were saying? <laughs> Melanie McFarland, you can really hear that sitcom feel with the laugh track, with the uh, no the sounds. <laughs> like, so right. beyond. Yeah. Yeah, and the thing about that is that the way that it is, for, you know, it's part of the portrayal of this world. And in context, once you get into a few episodes, you understand that the laugh track actually is something sinister. It takes on a menace. Mm -hmm. um, and but it's completely, you know, in it's it's used correctly in terms of evoking these classic, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s sitcoms. You know, all of the all of the visual cues are there, all it's stylistically it's on point. And yet, as the story evolves, you realize that it is really being used to accentuate the complete false, <laughs> the complete falseness of this world, this, you know, inauthenticity that I think is um really kind of keeping keeping people on their toes and guessing at what exactly is going on here. Well, what, Dennett Chavez, has just been straight up amazing to you, especially in the last year or so? I know I May Destroy You has topped so many TV critics lists, wondering if it was on yours as well. It was. It actually um, topped the list uh, for the site. So we polled both our staffers and our regular contributors. And um, it 
you know, there have been all these comparisons to, uh, between Michaela Cole and Phoebe Waller-Bridge in terms of someone mm -hmm. who is a, you know, top-down visionary, right? A writer, a producer, a performer. Um, but we also saw the same kind of sweep in the votes that we did for Fleabag season two uh, for I May Destroy You. Uh, I guess season one, because I've seen it nominated, or I, I thought it was being considered in drama categories, but... Um, that show absolutely took my breath away, uh, not just because of, you know, the, the very thoughtful way that it viewed survivors uh, and, you know, trauma recovery, but it's also just very funny. I think when, when critics really try to dig into um, the social value of something so early, so early I think, uh, audiences tend to assume that something's going to be a much more difficult watch right. than it is, right? Or like it, an impossible watch instead of just merely difficult. But it, you know, it, they're, they're, there's so much brightness to that show. As dark as it gets, um, the, the bond between the three leads is just, you know, th that resonates with me as much as it's very like serious themes. Melanie Farland, did that stand out to you as well? Just the way that she she treats this and and negotiates it and moves through this trauma. Oh, absolutely. Um, this is one of these shows that I think you have a um, a creator who is fully in command of every aspect of the writing. You know, she stars in it, Michaela Cole, but she also, I mean, even down to the soundtrack, she made choices that in the music and the, um, the songs that were used that actually helped to tell the story. Um, if you go and look up the, the choices, um, you know, a lot, of, and a lot of these songs are very familiar, um, but it is, it is one of the few works on television where it is a, I don't, I'm, I'm trying not to use too many highfalutin terms, but the best <laughs> way I could say it, it is really just like an, an, a completely um, solid concert of, um, of artistry. I mean, that's really the only way I can describe it. Um, and I'm doing exactly what Danette says that critics do that drive people away. But, you know, that's the only way I can, I, I can say it. And, and I do think that one of the things that she does is she really um, evokes this idea of what it, what it means to live within the, the brain and like the memory of someone who has gone through extreme trauma. She does this in the visuals. She does it in the editing. And also, you know, just in terms of the dialogue that she, she you know, that's written for her, I think there's there's no other way to describe it other than it's just you know one of those rare kind of perfect works and it was it's absolutely a crime that it was not recognized by the globes yes what do you think of the golden globes snubbing it melanie mcfarlane oh my gosh um it doesn't surprise me because the globes tend to really um lean towards broader choices just in terms of what they what they choose to honor and also flash. I mean, I'm not, you know, Dana was saying this, uh, this would definitely qualify visually as a, you know, you could say as a flashy choice, but I, I also think that a lot of, you know, Globes voters tend to not know what to do with artistically indirect content, if that makes any sense. Hmm. Um, if you look at what is nominated, all of these, you know, if you look at say like, okay, Emily in Paris, yes. um, that's, I think that's one that a lot of people were talking about and saying, what, why? <laughs> but, you know, here's a big, colorful, you know, feel good, 
you know, frothy piece that I think that people can easily understand that is not particularly intellectually taxing um, versus something like I May Destroy You, also completely understandable, but entirely about trauma and um, takes a very, um, even its even its finale that isn't exactly direct. So I can imagine voters looking at it and not knowing how to categorize it and really not knowing, you know, what to do with it. Danette Chavez, what did you think about that in terms of the Globe stemming it and the choices that they did make? I, like it was it was very much deja vu for me because I feel like we just went through this with When They See Us, mm. um, where, you know, again, and I, I, I don't mean to suggest that critics shouldn't be, you know, highlighting or, you know, seeking out the social value of something. I guess I just think of how people react to BoJack Horseman. I have so many people tell me, like, I don't think the show is, they assume that the show isn't funny because people, you know, so much of the conversation around it is how it explores depression and addiction and abusers in Hollywood, but it's also very funny. And so, I mean, and with people, and this is something that I think, um, the show's noted before is that viewers are becoming savvier. And so the gap between when uh, critics review something and when people are watching it, it, it it's shortening. And so the, the conversation is just shifting all the time. So like, I, I don't, I would never put anybody off from digging into those things. Um, but yeah, for me, the, the Golden Globes really just felt like, I mean, it was like Groundhog Day. I just, mm. I just felt as though we were going through the same thing that we did last year where um, a difficult watch is immediately deemed as something it, it, it's just synonymous with impossible yes we're talking with Dennett Chavez television editor at AV Club a pop culture website and Melanie McFarland a TV critic for Salon she's also president of the TV Critics Association and you are listeners about what to watch stay with us for more after the break this is Forum Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about our favorite shows or movies on TV with Melanie McParland of Salon and Dennett Chavez of AV Club. And just before the break, we were talking about how the Golden Globes snubbed HBO's I May Destroy You. Here's a clip from that. I took Bob aside. I said, can you stop? Barely finished speaking before he's looking all horrified, saying he'll never talk to me again because it's safer. Looking at me like I'm crazy. Well, Bob probably does think you're crazy. He thinks this is all a little uncalled for and this personal space thing is all going a bit too far. And he's very confident in his view because he's gone exploring to see for himself what boundaries and violations these women might be banging on about because Bob's thorough. And on these explorations, Bob found the line that separated him from everything else. Rather than crossing it, he tiptoed on it. And he experienced this feeling of being on the boundary, on the border, right on the line 
of being neither in one place or another, and saw how in this grey area, where nothing was quite clear, no one could be clear. That's Michaela Cole, star and creator of I May Destroy You, analyzing perpetrators of sexual assault during a support group. You, our listeners, are with us to tell us what have you been watching or streaming? What do you think about the recent award nominations and the snubbing of I May Destroy You? What other types of shows would you like to see on TV? Give us a call, 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. I don't want to, you know, spend too much time on the Golden Globes, but I do want to ask you, um, Danette Chavez, about something that you have said, which is the catch-22 of awards nominations. As much as we would like to sort of write off, you know, the Globes for snubbing films and, and going through, as you describe it, Groundhog Day, this constant sort of inability to really give certain types of difficult or hard to categorize shows their due. What do you mean by the catch 22 awards? Well, as, as critics and viewers and creatives, you, the instinct is when, you know, when you see this tradition at this point, um, just continue to be upheld by awards groups and not just uh, the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, but when you see them continue to snub the kinds of things that are clicking uh, with the general public or, you know, that that's whatever is more difficult to categorize, uh, the temptation is to just ignore them. Um, but the reality is the recognition when it does come through is uh, it leads to greater opportunities for the very same people that you're, mm. you're hoping will be recognized. That, like it's, there's, there's no, while that business operates that way, there's, there's kind of no separating the two. And so, um, you know, you, the temptation is to not give these things air, uh, but you also can't walk away from them. Right. Well, we're hearing from listeners about what they are watching. And Jim tweets, raised by Wolves, Star Trek, and Westworld are favorites of mine. Steven tweets, I'm watching a Korean drama, Diary of a Prosecutor. Noel tweets, The Sound of Metal and Schitt's Creek. Schitt's Creek, you know, that reminds me of shows that people found surprisingly good, Melanie McFarland. I'm wondering if you have any in that category where, you know, at first glance you were like, yeah, but then as you watched it, you were surprised how feel good or good it was. You know, for me this year, the show that did that for me uh, was Ted Lasso, actually. Um, (laughs) Initially, and I would say this, that Ted Lasso is great from the very start. Um, Schitt's Creek took a while to grow on me. And and it's it is one of the shows that people who love it will will tell people who haven't seen it yet. Generally speaking, I'll say that it takes a little while to warm up, but once it does, it is just one of the funniest and sweetest shows you've ever seen. Um, for me, I think the with, with Ted Lasso, it came out at a time when everyone was thinking about something else. Um, so it also, you know, it, it, it is one of those shows that looked like, it, it's just a bizarre premise. So in that week of making a choice of what to write about and what to watch, I think I chose something else. It's like, okay, that, that makes more sense than this. 
But then I went back and looked at it and it is one of the sweetest, most uplifting shows that I think I've seen in a really long time. And it's actually, you were asking about what I watch for pleasure. I watched it once to write about it and I've watched it several times since just to enjoy it and feel better. Um, and I think that's what a show like Schitt's Creek does too. Um, people just watch it to feel better. And it's also really clever. It does feel like comfort TV or, or people have been talking about a comfort watch. I mean, Dennett Chavez, I'm wondering whether comfort TV, I think you've asked this question in and of itself is, is a genre now. I, I wonder about this a lot uh, with my coworkers and just, you know, in engaging with other, I, not even people who write about television, but just other people who I know are consuming a lot more of it uh, since the lockdowns began. Um, it, because the comfort watch isn't something as simple as, um, you know, reruns of a thing where it's uh, like the equivalent of white noise like putting HGTV on in the background. Uh, the Office emerged, I think even before the pandemic, like that became a comfort watch for a lot of millennials who were just discovering it on Netflix. Um, and but it's cringe comedy. So the instinct is to think, you know, what, what's so comforting about this? Um, and so it, it almost seems like the, the comfort watch is not a specific type of show, but just you know, what you're watching is, it, it constitutes a comfort watch if it's comforting as you watch it. What do you think about the role of comfort TV right now, Melanie McFarland? You know, I'm going to echo what Danette says. Um, it is really about what comforts you as you watch it. I will also say that a show like The Office, I wonder if part of it, and I, I'm not the only person to ask this, and certainly not the first, but... Um, I wonder if part of it is that it is this reflection of what we perceive normal to look like. Um, mm. The office has always had a lot of, you know, fans, a lot of people who are very, very passionate about it. And they've had it since there was the UK version with Ricky Gervais, you know? So I, I, I think that may be part of it. Um, I also think of when the, you know, when lockdowns first began, I kept on hearing about Kim's convenience um, and I actually began kind of um, rationing myself, rationing episodes for myself so that I wouldn't go all the way through it because I wanted to make sure that I enjoyed it. And um, again, these are not episodes that I watch for, um, as Danai was saying, the white noise of it. It's this idea of a window to the world of what normal looks like, <laughs> you know, and an idealized version of normal. Right. I mean, that's what really Kim's convenience gave to me. But yeah, something like The Office, um, something like, you know, Friends, one of the reasons that it was incredibly popular is that it gives people this, um, for certain generations, it's this familiarity of a great show you used to watch together, right? Um, but I also think that for people who are just discovering it, um, it's this idea of what would it be like to have a, a group of people that you spent a ton of time with, this kind of uh, family that you choose, that you go to the coffee shop with and actually interact with instead of everybody looking down at their phones, you know, just things like that. It's this fantasy idea of being an adult. And I think that has a lot of comfort to it, too. It's reassuring. The listener who mentioned a Korean drama, that was actually the surprise for me. I never really watched them until this past year. And I was surprised how much, because I, I kind of found them sort of a little 
unrealistic and soapy and things like that. But this past year, they've been far more comforting than I expected. And also, maybe I just have uh, more tolerance these days to sit and watch something with with subtitles. It's just I spend a lot more of my free time in front of TV. Let me go to some callers who are calling in. Bennett in Fairfax, join us. Hi, Bennett. Hi. Yeah, um, I wanted to recommend um, Star Trek to everybody, which I'm sure most people have watched. But um, the show has a lot of lessons in morality and uh, a lot of lessons in morality that could be relevant uh, to the times we're in. And um, I don't know if this happens to you guys, but when I binge watch a show, I feel like I start to think like the main character um, and uh, thinking like Jean-Luc Picard is a, nothing but a positive thing in life. That's an interesting point. Thinking like the main character, seeing the world or engaging with it in a way that you think the main character is of the show that you're watching or enjoying. Is that something that happens to either of you? Sure. I, and I actually wanted to, I, I don't know if the caller's still there, but when you say Star Trek, I'm glad that he mentioned Picard. Because one thing that I was thinking of is that there are so many different versions of Star Trek right now. Are you looking at Star Trek Discovery? Are you talking about Michael Burnham? Are you looking at Picard, the latest Star Trek? Which I don't think, you know, I don't believe that the character of Picard has changed entirely. Um, the, the core morality of who he was in Next Generation is there. One thing that I enjoy about him is that he has a new determination after receding into retirement to go back and really engage in a harder universe um, and still maintain that sense of who he's always been, um, both hopeful um, and determined, but also, you know, a great negotiator, a great negotiator and a realist. So um, I'm really glad that that you brought up Star Trek. There are different versions of captains to think of. And yes, I one of the reasons I love Picard and I was so happy to see Picard um, come back is for that very reason. He is this um, example of logic. Um, and he also, you know, there, there are all these interesting traits about him that I just find incredibly classy. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kai tweets, I was surprised to find myself streaming quite a lot of PBS documentary shows like Frontline and science shows like Nova and specials such as The Rise of the Nazis, but also catching up on fun stuff like Schitt's Creek. WandaVision has become Appointment TV, a first in a long time. And this listener writes, one fun thing during the pandemic has been revisiting shows with my teens. We've watched Friends together and classic sitcoms like The Mary Tyler Moore Show. It has been the leaping off point for many discussions, including how as a journalist, Mary didn't have the cash to live in anything but a studio apartment. Revisiting shows, Danette Chavez, have there been shows that you have gone back and sort of rediscovered? I have, the show that I've been watching purely for fun has been Monk. Uh -huh. And I think part of it, what, what sent me uh, to uh, virtual San Francisco is um, the flight attendant is a show. It's an HBO Max show starring Kaylee Cuoco, which I think is a, in the similar vein of like Blue Sky TV, where it's you know a little dark, but it's mostly sunny. And so I started rewatching Monk. Um, and what's funny is uh, I actually have had to in, to take the edge off by rewatching Hannibal because I've rewatching Monk. I am just taken aback by how easily people turn to murder 
Like you would think that San Francisco is just crawling with sociopaths because, you know, something will start with people getting coffee and two minutes later, somebody is dead. And uh, just watching that very like steep decline as, as much fun as it is to watch uh, Tony Shalhoub, uh, seeing that steep decline, I'm like, mm, I think I need uh, a little more of a buildup to the murder. Uh, so let me maybe switch things up with Hannibal. Well, as I said, it tweets, the flight attendant on HBO is fantastic. A little bit difficult to watch, but a great show. You just happened to mention that there, Dennett. And let me see if I can bring Tim from Tehachapi in here. Hi, Tim. Yeah, hi. Uh, I just wanted to second that I love Kim's Convenience. I heard about it a couple of years ago on NPR. I don't watch cable. The only other current show I watch is Superstore. And the reasons I like Kim's Convenience, yes, it's a very believable family, but it's got the most diverse casting in any show or movie I've ever seen. Yes, they are Korean-Canadian, but they have Indian-Canadian friends, Chinese-Canadian friends. The pastor at their church might be half black or uh, Puerto Rican. It doesn't really matter. And they've got gay people and trans people. And the son, who's the fourth lead in the show, is going to become the first Asian superstar. So he's kind of not in the current season. And the cool thing is, in America, we can watch it for free on YouTube. Canada, Canadians cannot. So it's, it's a great show. Well, thanks for the recommendation, Tim. Appreciate that. And the second of Kim's Convenience. Uh, let me go next to Tom in San Jose. Hi, Tom. Oh, hi. Thanks for taking my call. So uh, I've just started getting into uh, Warrior. It's uh, it's on uh, started out on Cinemax. It's now on HBO Max, and uh, it's uh, based on the writings of uh, Bruce Lee with his daughter as an executive producer. And just sort of what it brings up with respect to uh, racism and anti-Asian racism in particular, and uh, sort of reminding us of how Bruce Lee's writings were sort of uh, I gather taken away from him for Kung Fu, the show back in the 1970s. I think it's a great watch, and I'm looking forward to uh, seeing more of it. Well, Tom, thanks for that recommendation. Becca writes, The Expanse has been one of my favorite TV shows since it was on sci-fi, and I am thrilled that Amazon picked it up. This show packs in a wonderful punch of intrigue, politics, and diplomacy, space exploration, and science, coupled with dynamic CGI. And as a woman, I love the strong female characters, sometimes rare in traditional sci-fi. These aren't princesses or simple love interests. The Expanse is a hidden gem that more people should be watching. Melanie McFarland, what do you think? I actually just wrote about The Expanse and said exactly that. And I wanna second the uh, shout out to Warrior. Warrior is one of those shows that um, like The Expanse is highly underappreciated. Um, part of the reason was that it was on Cinemax and mm. Cinemax for a while when it was doing original uh, programming really struggled to get what they were what the network was doing noticed and warrior is one of those shows that just operates on uh, just at at every level is just excellent um but to go back to the expanse yes i think that it, the expanse is incredibly dense and i think when it was on sci-fi that may have not put people off, but maybe it seemed a little more challenging, particularly since sci-fi, this is the kind of show that if it had come on right after Battlestar Galactica went off the air, I think it would have done a little bit better. But sci-fi became the network of Sharknado for a very long time. Um, and so when it did bring something back that essentially was billed as Game of Thrones in space, and it, in, a, in a lot of ways, it is that complex and yet quite accessible. Um, 
I think that once it went over to Amazon, it became, that was, that's the right home for it. I got a bigger budget and, um, and you're able to binge it if you, if you want to. Um, it's one of the, one of the best series I think that's on right now. Andy asks, do your guests know the fate of the Amazon animated series Undone? I thought it was mind-blowing and brilliant on so many levels, but it seemingly vanished after a single season. Dana Chavez? It or? was renewed. It was? Sorry sorry to, to jump in there. No, please. Just, that, is, I, that was one of my favorite shows in recent years. It's just so gorgeously done. And Rosa Salazar is... Um, She's fantastic in that. Um, but yes, it, it, it was renewed for a second season. And Brian writes, love the show Better Things. Just found it. You like Better Things. I, I think you've written about that one, Dana Chavez. Um, one of the biggest thrills in my life as a TV critic was finding out that Pamela Adlon had actually been reading my recaps um, of Better Things, which is a show that you know, we were talking about Golden Globe snubs. Um, that show, its fourth season was maybe its best season. And to to be able to maintain that kind of consistency, that's not something that I think the Globes are really known for rewarding, unless your show is called Ozark. Um, but gosh, I, I love Better Things. I'm so glad it's getting a, a fifth season um, because in this last year, it really redefined the idea of a coming of age comedy because we, we typically set that much earlier in life, right? In adolescence, um, but it's coming of middle age comedy. And again, we'll have more with Dennett Chavez, television editor of AV Club and Melanie McFarland, TV critic of Salon and you are listeners after the break. I'm Mina Kim, stay with us. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. I was born by the river In a little tent Oh, and just like the river I've been running Ever since It's been a long A long time coming But I know Change gonna come Oh yes it will It's been too hard living But I'm afraid That's Change Gonna Come, sung by Leslie Odom Jr., who's in One Night in Miami. We're talking about the TV shows, films that you're watching or would recommend with Melanie McFarland, TV critic for Salon, also president of the TV Critics Association, and Dennett Chavez, television editor for AV Club. And let's just talk films real quick. And of course, I just played that from One Night in Miami. Wondering, uh, Melanie McFarland, if you had any thoughts on that film. Oh, I thought it was stunning. Um, Regina King, just for her directorial debut, just really hit it out of the park. And it really showcased 
it was a great showcase of the actors um, mm. and also shows what you can do with a really intimate setting. Um, most of the action takes place within the confines of a motel room, very small. And um, it's a piece where each of the actors is, you know, their, their energy is, you know, both an exchange and kind of uh, put into, I wouldn't say conflict with each other, although there are definitely some moments that, uh, that become tense. But, but I think that this is, this is one of those, um, this pieces that is really excels in its intimacy. And I, and not only that, it's just, it's just a beautiful story. Um, fictionalized piece of history. Um, but I, but I also think that it does what, um, it, it does the story justice for sure. Danette Chavez, is there a film that you have recently watched that you'd like to recommend or one that you're excited to see that's coming out this year? Um, I really enjoyed Sound of Metal. Uh, Riz Ahmed is rightly garnering, garnering plays, praise, excuse me, left and right uh, for his performance. Um, but it's it's really just it, it's a consummate work where you know everything from the direction to the supporting performances are just all top notch and um, I think a lot of what we're watching makes us long for being around each other uh, and that, I, I mean I I certainly get to see family from a distance but there was something about that movie that more than anything just I I, I had this pang where that movie more than anything I've watched recently made me miss being around people. Mm, yeah, definitely. That's something that that I experience too, as I'm watching things. What are you watching audience? 866-733-6786 is the number to call if you want to add your favorites to our list. And uh, what are you what other types of shows would you like to see on TV? What are you finding that you are drawn to and wanting more of? Let me go to Nadine in San Anselmo. Hi, Nadine. Hi. Um, here, let me take you uh, off speakerphone. Uh, well, it was really hard to boil it down. <laughs> about eight, but if I, I was finding myself with the English genre a lot, um, Last Tango in ha Halifax with Derek Jacoby, who I've loved since he did I Claudius with the K PBS series a long time ago, mm. and uh, and then of course The Crown which, you know, is well known. And I don't know if this got as much attention, but sex ed was just, I, I just, it was so much fun. I, I really love sex ed. Uh, and, uh, and then I have to throw in that uh, PBS did a really good uh, clips. It was called, and those were all on Netflix, but this was more like a PBS streaming type thing, um, unladylike. And it was about women, you know, from the 1900s onwards who were, you know, ceiling breakers. So well, um, th those are some. Well, thanks, Nadine, for those. And speaking of your, uh, of the Brits, Mona writes, why has nobody yet mentioned the Great British Bake Off? It's a cooking competition without the vitriol or over-the-top drama. The competitors are sweet, engaging, and actually nice to one another. The most stressful thing that happens is whether or not a dough will rise in time. It's an absolute delight. Kim writes, speaking of sweet and inspirational shows, we are watching Anne with an E on Netflix. It's a great show for the entire family, but that doesn't make it just for kids. The characters are compelling and have many struggles that still apply to our lives today. And another listener writes, anyone mentioned Vita yet? I loved it. Dennis Chavez, Vita, I think you've mentioned Vita. <laughs> 
Yes. Um, Melanie was uh, mentioning uh, earlier the, you know, the, the group, the kind of hangout shows um, hitting differently during quarantine. And uh, Vida is many things, but for me, it's also kind of like a sexy cheers because it is set in a bar and you've got this host of characters. And obviously it tackles things like uh, the different types of gentrification. Um, and I, I love that it tells a very different kind of uh, migration story, not immigration necessarily, because this is a multi-generational Mexican-American family. And, you know, there's also just the notion of one of the characters traveling to Chicago, where, I, where I'm based and which has a significant Mexican-American community as well. Um, and then also just making their way back to a neighborhood and finding that it's, you know, in the midst of like a real transformation, willingly or otherwise. And so it's both very smart and sexy. And um, I was very sad to see it go earlier this year. Let me go to caller Eric in Emeryville. Hi, Eric. Yeah, hi. I'll have to say one of the things I'm starting to become very aware of is when I see a show that has more of a quarantine uh, obviousness to it, like people wearing masks. And one of the things I've really gra gra uh, gravitated towards is watching BritBox, where I can see things like the very classic soap operas Emmerdale and Coronation Street, but they are all wearing masks because they started refilming during the quarantine. So you see signs of social distancing, the way people go in shops, and they still have a story, and it's not about the quarantine, but that's their normalcy. That's mm. their life. And it speaks to me in that, yeah, I'm going through, through the same thing, and I'm just having my life. So it feels more like today and the reality I'm living in than some of the shows that were so far in the back. Um, and then I've also, you know, everyone's gotten such a big kick out of watching The Mandalorian, which is a huge thing. But on Disney Plus, they have all of these background stories of how it was made. And then going onto YouTube and watching people react to the last season's finale gave me this kind of connection to people because they were also kind of engaged with this, the feeling I had, even though I watched it alone. So some of these things that wrap me in with the world I'm around, even though I'm on my own, really helps. And I think that's that's really fun TV to watch. Eric, thanks for sharing that. I mean, he raises really interesting questions that I've wondered myself, Melanie McFarland, about how shows are dealing with the pandemic how the the TV industry, the film industry is trying to figure out if that's what viewers want, their reality reflected or to escape from it. So that is an interesting question. In the initial phase of lockdown, there were a number of shows, like the, there were a couple that went directly to series. One of them was called Love in the Time and Corona that aired on Freeform. Um, there's social distancing. Um, even a, a special called Coastal Elites, Elites was filmed in lockdown and um, styled to link a number of monologues as if they are Zoom calls. Um, and from what I could tell of the viewership of those shows, people did not want to be reminded that they were living their lives on Zoom. Uh, however, as a caller brings up, yes, there have been a number of shows that have incorporated mass and social distancing with varying degrees of success. I actually watched a few episodes um, of The Connors to catch up on it. Mm. And all the characters are masked and um, in, in each of the, uh, each of the each of the scenes where it's taking place at Darlene and Becky's work. They, this season they're working in a plastics factory. However, they take off their masks to speak, which of course, they, they do as a, you know, it's part of dramatic license. So you can actually see the actors' faces. 
that doesn't bother me as much as some of the um some of the moments within the plot where they say hey come on over we've been we're been, we've been in a bubble so we've been safe um which is exactly what health officials are saying no you really shouldn't be doing that um so it's it's been interesting to see how um these series are actually acknowledging the pandemic and putting it in their storyline but also seeing these bits of dramatic license and um and and creative creative interpretations of you know how to how to wear masks and social distancing that can actually take at least it takes me out of the story hmm. um and sometimes seems a bit forced and that that's you know to to what the caller is saying when a show does it well then i actually uh it kind of blends in with the action and it doesn't bother me Danette chavez i know you need to leave us i would love to hear what you think in terms of how tv is negotiating this um I, there are certain shows where it just kind of makes sense for them to acknowledge that reality. Um, I, I'm not sure that we'll see that much more digging in later this year. Larry David has already said that for the next season of Curb Your Enthusiasm, they're just going to leap to a post-pandemic future, which, um, I mean, I, I guess I, I can't blame him, right? There, so much of that show is just watching people react to him. And if everyone's wearing masks, I mean, that take so much of the fun out of it. Um, yeah, it, it, it'll be interesting to see how many more shows start to work that in. I think, uh, as Melanie's already mentioned, we're going to see, people don't, we don't want to see exactly what we're already seeing at home. Um, so I, I'm not inclined to think that we're, people are going, shows are going to dig that much more into it. Dennett Chavez, television editor for AV Club, a pop culture website. Really appreciate having you on. Thank you so much. Thank you. Melanie McFarland is with us, a TV critic for Salon, also president of the TV Critics Association. We're talking about our favorite shows or streaming movies, and uh, we're asking you, our listeners, to share yours as well. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Here are some more of the recommendations that we're getting. Uh, Susan writes, I'm an older viewer, so maybe that's it, but I'm disappointed that TV is full of sci-fi, zombie apocalypse, and crime, crime, crime. Comics-related stuff does not appeal. The Queen's Gambit was great, but the quality is rare. The Queen's Gambit, one of those shows that sent people out buying chessboards, <laughs> Melanie McFarland, uh, really just became a whole thing. Did you anticipate that that would happen with that show? No, I think that, <laughs> I, I think about it. When was the last time that you heard the phrase, chess is sweeping the nation? <laughs> Have you ever heard that phrase? <laughs> um, I think that that was a show that really benefited from quarantine. Hmm. It is thoughtful, um, provocative, visually, um, you know, the artistically very well done. Um, Anya Taylor-Joy is um, amazing in it, but it's also a quiet show. Um, even though the main character is dealing with mental illness, there is a very meticulous um, interpretation of it. Um, that it actually invites people into her point of view. And so it's as much about the story and this character. And it's not, if you look at it in, in its entirety, there are elements about it that, you know, deserve criticism. But just in terms of this very solid and precise world, I can completely understand 
why that would be such a draw for people in a realm of in a time when we're living in such unpredictability. Um, there's a certainty and a logic to chess that was reflected and evoked through the Queen's Gambit um, that I think I'm guessing really drew people to it. Well, Bink writes, the Detectorists is a sweet, smart, delightfully unique and perfect comfort viewing. Borgen is a Danish political human drama. It's intelligent and engaging television. I also like The Green Wing, a weirdly funny, offbeat British comedy in a hospital setting and Catastrophe, a sharp, bittersweet dramedy. <laughs> Let's go to Samantha in San Francisco. Hi, Samantha. Hi. Um, I just wanted to say that I've been satisfying a lot of my wanderlust. Um, by watching uh, shows from other countries. Oh. And um, I'm really into this show on Netflix called Rita right now about a teacher, a middle-aged teacher um, in Denmark. And uh, somebody earlier called um, a show a middle-aged coming of age, and that's sort of what this one is. But I have watched a ton of foreign things, um, lots of Israeli dramas. Um, I also really love Le Bureau, um, which is about the uh, French version of the CIA and um, very compelling. And it just is really nice to spend some time in a different culture, in a different country, when I'm basically stuck in my living room. You're making me wonder if that's also why I've been watching more foreign films as well, the, the satisfying wanderlust piece of it. Thanks, Samantha, for that. Appreciate it. Mike mm -hmm. recommends Letter Kenny on Hulu in the U.S., a huge phenomenon by Jared Kizzo in, Cal in Canada. Diverse cast, big LGBT representation, big element of women's empowerment, and a moral compass all wrapped up in super funny writing. And John writes, I highly recommend the Australian TV series Total Control. It's a powerful political drama featuring an Aboriginal woman with terrific production values and a great cast making for a compelling series. And let me go next to Phil in Burlingame. Hi, Phil. Hi, how are you? Um, a movie that's amazing is Promising Young Woman and a TV show that I love on NBC, which is upbeat and depressing at the same time, is Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. And I can't stand musicals, but they break out in song, which is the inner thoughts of people. And it explores death and, and grief. And, and it's based in San Francisco. It's a local show. Well, thanks, Phil, for that recommendation. Let me see if I can squeeze Lisa from San Carlos in here for one more. Hi, Lisa. Hi there. Yeah, my kids and I uh, watched last Friday uh, The Big Short, mm. and it was an amazing film to see in light of the GameStop debacle. And, you know, <laughs> right. they're, they're, you know, my kids are college age, and they sort of dabbled a little bit in you know, buying stocks. And we had this whole conversation throughout the film about what was, you know, what it was all about and what short selling meant. And, and in fact, the devastation of the short selling that, you know, that resulted in the financial crisis um, earlier in the decade. So, um, yeah, that was super fun and educational. And it's an amazing film. Christian Bale and Steve Carell, just fabulous. Well, thanks for that. Reminder, Lisa and uh, Melanie McFarland. Before we go, what is something you are looking forward to seeing? Something that's coming out in twenty twenty one. Oh, there are a number of things. I I, I do want to pivot because I just want to say something. As I've been listening to everybody, sure. it strikes me that for such a long time, and I don't think this has been the case in recent years, that TV was this denigrated medium. 
Um, and one of the things that that's changed, certainly. And there's two things that are coming out of this period of lockdown that I think um, are, and it's really striking me as I'm listening to people, you know, give their suggestions and, and, and list the things they love. One is that the line between TV and film has been blurring for a long time. And certainly that's, that's worrisome to, uh, to the industry. But I think it also has opened people up to watching films that they may not have gone to a theater to watch otherwise. And I think that's, that's a wonderful thing in terms of exposing people to cinema and to the creativity um, that's available for you know, choices that would be considered independent films. So that's great. But more than that, I think one of the things that I'm looking forward to, to pivot back to what you're saying, isn't necessarily a show. It's this concept of people looking at the world after being in such a small space and having the world shrink on us for such a long time, looking forward to broadening their experience of the world. And they've done that a lot through television, just like someone was talking about Wanderlust. I'm wondering if that's what, if television is going to enable that. Hmm. So that's really what I'm looking forward to. Well, Melanie McFarlane, what a great note to leave us on. And thank you for broadening our options today. Melanie McFarlane, TV critic at Salon. And thank you to Judy Campbell, uh, who produced this segment with help from Blanca Torres, and also our producers, Ariana Prail, Susan Britton, Grace One, and Mandy Wynn. Our senior editor is Dan Zoll. Our engineers are Danny Bringer and Katie McMurrin. I'm Mina Kim. Thanks for listening to Forum. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles? The Snap Judgment Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.